the rule of King David. Two chapters later, God made a covenant with King David, stating that a, multi that a future descendant of David would inherit his throne and reign forever. So now you can see, that descendant was Jesus. So we can see now the, the Jebusites, the Jebusites held, held the, the city of Jerusalem. It was taken over by King David. And King David, um, God said to him, I will, build you, I will build you a throne forever. You will see the word forever. And by that he meant that through the Lord Jesus, the reign of King David will last forever. And uh, so that Zion has the connection with the kingdom of God, even the throne of God, because we will find in the thousand year reign that is still ahead of us, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus, the, the Bible says that he will reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. So he will be inheriting the throne of his, of his father, his father the, through the loins of David he came. So that prophecy will be then fulfilled. So we see that in 2 Samuel 7 verse 12, when your days are complete, that's what God says to King David, when your days are complete and when you lie down with your fathers, that means if you die, I will raise up your descendant, singular, after you, and who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Okay, now, sorry. Now he's talking about Solomon. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Do you see how the, do you see how the Bible works? You think he's talking about Solomon. Yes, he is talking about Solomon, but then he uses the word forever. We know that Solomon died. So there's also like a spiritual aspect to the prophecy that will carry on into eternity, and that will be uh, the true descendant of David uh, uh, that so many prophets have uh, prophesied about. Uh, so this prophecy, this prophecy refers to, that. now's the commentary on that verse, this prophecy refers to the Messiah, and it promises that the Messiah will descend from David and one day reign on earth forevermore. In other words, it's a promise that God will use David's Mount Zion kingdom to bring the kingdom of God to earth. This covenant with David linked Mount Zion with the kingdom of God. So when, when, when the Bible says that the the 144,000, they were on the Mount Zion. Say, uh, then I looked and behold on Mount Zion, I'm back at verse 1 here in Revelation, stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000. You know that we've come across that number before, right? Chapter 7. There the, that number was from the tribes of, 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 of Israel, 12 tribes, 12,000 each will make 144,000. And we know that on their heads and their foreheads, they have the name in what form? The name of the Father and the name of the Son. Now let me read you, I want you to know now, if we think of the kingdom of heaven, you know that the Lord Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He actually introduced the kingdom of heaven. Right? Because remember what, what John the Baptist said when he saw the Lord Jesus? There is the Lamb. Here we see it again. In the the Bible is talking about the Lamb. So when you see the Lamb, you have to think of the kingdom of God being introduced by the Lamb of God. There is the Lamb of God that will um, save you from your sin. Who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Jesus said, when the disciples asked him, Lord, are you bringing in the kingdom 
uh, at this stage, what they were looking for is a physical kingdom. And that's what the Jews missed. That's what they were so upset about the, the so-called Messiah that should come and rule and reign by destroying the Roman armies. Actually, when he was actually killed by the Romans, it was, they were totally shattered and they wanted nothing to do with that. And Jesus became a cursed word for them because they misunderstood his mission far more important than the suppression of the Roman army of the Israelites, the chosen of God, was the oppression of sin. And that's what he came to do first. So when we see lamb, we must think of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, no, the kingdom of heaven will not come by your observance. It is, it is in here. It's actually meant by that as a spiritual kingdom that I will introduce initially. Now, Satan's final kingdom will feature a deception based on counterfeit Christianity. That's very important that we should know that. Um, so it will all look Christian. It will sound Christian. It's almost like a duck. Like it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and we will think it is the real thing, but it will be a deception. Because Satan is answering the Holy Trinity with his counterfeit unholy trinity, the dragon, first beast, second beast, or the dragon, the antichrist, and the false prophet. For God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He answers true miracles with counterfeit miracles. It appears that the, that the death and the resurrection of Christ will be answered by a counterfeit death and a resurrection of the antichrist that we dealt with two Sundays ago, or three. Now we see that he will also answer the seal of God with the countermark of the beast. So, the same way that the, 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 the 144,000 were sealed with the name of the Father and the Son, in the same way, he will devise a counterfeit the counterfeit mark of the beast. As with the other counterfeits, it will be as similar as possible it's, as its holy counterpart while being opposite in objective. You see? Because you have to be able to deceive those who are nominal Christians. It has to look like the real thing. And you know what is, if you think of a banknote, the, a, a, a banknote that's falsified, the one that works the best is the closest to the truth. It's the closest to the true one, and this is Satan's scheme. Therefore, think of the mark of the beast as a, a way for a person to publicly declare himself or herself as a true worshiper of the Antichrist. It's not just going to, it's not just going to be, you're not just going to be whitewashed with the mark of the beast. This is something you have to actually believe in that. You have to believe it like we believe in the true the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we receive maybe the baptism of the, uh, a water baptism, when we confess our faith and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, so the, this mark of the beast will also be a kind of a, a baptism where the, you will publicly confess your love and your devotion to the Antichrist, believing that it is the true God. It's not just going to be a, a, a formality. It's going to be an oath that they will swear. They will really believe that He is the true God and that the true God of Israel is bringing all these plagues. He is really the enemy. So that is uh, as far as... And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters. So, and, and like the sound of a loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. 
No one can learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not... Okay, let me just stop there and just talk to you about the new song. Uh, one of the a Jewish commentators that I read up said um, there is a, the new of the new song has a connection with the kingdom of God. It is the song of redemption and vindication. Another opinion says, a new song, which is a term frequently used in the Old Testament, as it's always used in context with joyful praise. Earlier in Revelation, it was also used in a sense. Or in this sense, we, we have come across that in, in, in Revelation 5, 9, and they, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. So that was the first time we heard a new song and now it comes up again. So the song is new in the sense that the cause for praise is new. Whenever there's a new, uh, a new cause for praise, maybe more people came to the Lord or an event happened to the glory of God, there was a new song to be sung. So I just hope that in my life I will have cause to sing a new song regularly because of the revelation that we receive from the Word by the ministry of the Spirit, by the ministry of the Word to us, that you and I will have not only singing about our redemption that has happened so many years ago, but that we will have evidence to sing a song as regularly as possible of God's grace and mercy to us on a daily basis. As, as, the, as the, uh, the Israelites could pick up manna daily from the desert floor to feed themselves, you and I have to pick up daily manna from the Word to feed ourselves. And when we see the, the, the love of Christ outpoured for us, if we see the grace of the Father in His love for us, the individual love of God poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit, we will find new, a reason for new songs. And hopefully out of this church we will get musicians that can produce for us new songs because we have discovered something new of the grace of God. Any amens? That was manipulation. <laughs> so, so, um, so no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. We cannot sing a new song unless we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Until we know that we know that we know. If you wake up in the middle of the night, my, it is well, like we sing last Sunday, it is well with my soul. Why do I know it? Why do I know it? I don't know it because of my experience. I know it because the Word says so. Very important that we will know the difference. Not that Christianity is not experimental. It is experimental. Or experiential as well. Right? But is we, we check our experience and we go to the Word and we say, Aha! Everyone who is Christ is a, is a new creation. We've been set free. There's no, there's no condemnation. So we have, I have the reason to sing. Because the Bible says, if my sins have been forgiven, it is once for all. When Christ was done with my redemption on the cross, He went and sat down. It's not like what the Roman Catholic uh, um, magisterium teaches that every Sunday you need to go for Mass. So, and they, they have the authority, the bishops have the authority to bring Jesus back from the cross to die on their hands. Every Sunday, that's what they believe. And if you don't eat Mass, then you, they are, they are, uh, the fact that He died on the cross for your sin doesn't give you eternal salvation. No, you're still dependent on the priest that will Sunday give you the Mass and say with that, with that Mass and you take it, you get uh, forgiven of your uh, mortal sin. 
So that is why Roman Catholic people have a very, very tough time to believe that they're forgiven because they are taught otherwise, to keep them trapped uh, and the priest as their mediator and also Mary as their mediator. So uh, the reason I mention this is that because we live in a country dominated by a Roman Catholic Church and we, we think that they are Christians. But if you look at their doctrine, they are not. We'll speak about that in the next service as well. And that is tragic. We should pray for people that are trapped because they are, being, they are being controlled by fear. So like many other cults are, they believe if they leave that church, they will die in their sin and they will never go to heaven. And that's, we, we see the same with Amish. They believe the same. And many other cults. So, um, so now we talk about no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And it is these who have not defiled themselves with women. Now, this gets the idea that if you're married, then you are defiled. If sex is dirty at any stage. But this is not what the word means. This is, if you, if you think, the Bible uses sexual immorality as an as a emblem of idolatry, spiritual idolatry. So in this case, they might be virgins, but that vir the fact that they're virgins is not uh, what the scripture is elevating them for, but what, the what, it, what they are commended for is they, that they are single-mindedly following the Lord Jesus Christ and His commands. They have sold out to one, to one master, and that is to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what their virginity means. They haven't married any idol. So we are here all, if you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and that you trust Him alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, if you trust Him alone, we are virgins following the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to read to you um, a comment. It does not refer to sex as dirty, as if married life is not a life of holiness, but refers to idolatry. This is common in the Old Testament. Sexual immorality is a metaphor of idolatry, people turning away from God to serve idols. It refers to spiritual fidelity to the commands of God. Surely this symbolically implies that the bride of Christ must be pure from idolatry. And that's what Paul uses in his figure. He says, um, in 2 Corinthians 11, 2-3, he says, I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Do you see that? There's the same, there's the same concept. It's, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of um, our dedication and devotion to one husband, our, our Redeemer husband. And now, um, and if it is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, that's the 104 that didn't defile themselves. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits to God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. And I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language, and people. So this, um, this gospel was proclaimed to those, and I just want you to know, Jesus spoke about this eternal gospel. The gospel has already been explained in chapter 5, where, only being who, where the only being who could take the scroll from the Ancient of Days and open the seals, we've seen that that was the Lamb, the Lion of Judah. But I want you to read to you about what Jesus said when the end will come. 
and how does it tie in with this angel that is flying over a, a world being destroyed by the trumpet judgment of God and saying to, to the earth dwellers, we have seen the Bible says, earth dwellers are those who reject the gospel truth. Those who despite all the things that happen in the natural disasters or in the supernatural disasters, they still continue to worship idols and they still continue uh, with uh, sexual immorality. So Jesus says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of the lawlessness, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. We see that already in this day. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And that end is the final com the coming of the Lord at the second coming. Where, where all the evil will be stopped and the, the first and the second beast and the dragon will be dealt with. So, and that, that uh, promise here is fulfilled in Matthew. Oh, sorry, this promise that God, Jesus made about um, the coming of uh, the gospel be proclaimed and then the end will come is what this angel is doing. I saw another angel flying directly overhead with eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, sea, and the springs of water. So here we see the heart of God. That despite all the evil, if you can think of the evil that we see today, just uh, multiplied a thousand times, will be the evil of, of that particular day. And despite the evil, God still sends out an angel to call people to repent. Up to the last, because that is his heart. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. So I'm, I'm going to exp just read to us what does the, what does the word mean? What, if the Bible says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, I want you to think back in the history, also the first mention. Where is Babylon mentioned the first? And we know that it is when God said to uh, the people, you have to spread out, multiply, and fill the earth, right? And rule. What did they do? They congregate in a, in a town called Babel or Babel. That was the beginning of Babylon. So Babylon stands as a, as a symbol of rebellion against God. God wanted them to be dispersed so that uh, every nation and tribe and tongue will have their place of living. And they said, no, we were going to build a tower and we're going to find God for ourselves. We will be our, we will, it is a self-determination. We will rule ourselves. We are not interested in following the instructions and the command of God. So that was open rebellion. So let's hear what, what um, one, one person says, one commentator. In Revelation, the Babylon is used symbolically to represent the final satanic kingdom of the end. This kingdom, characterized by idolatry, has united all nations into immorality and into opposition to God. This kingdom is about to receive God's judgment. So in Isaiah 21.9, we hear the words, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. 
And that was actually an amazing prophe prophecy about the ancient Babylon. Is Isaiah's prophecy was stated long before ancient Babylon even became a great power. That is, that is the amazing thing about prophecy. Is, and that is how we know a prophecy becomes true um, by just waiting. So this prophecy, is, let me just say, is Isaiah 21 verse 9. Isaiah lived around 700 before Christ with, when Assyria was a dominant empire and Babylon didn't even rise to power until about 70 years later and it fell in the year 539 BC. Here in Revelation, this same phrase is again used to foretell the doom of a kingdom that persecutes God's people. So Babylon stands for the enemy of God and the oppressor of God's people. It refers to the entire worldwide political, economic, and religious kingdom of Antichrist. So it's important that we grasp that because we will come across this Babylon more often in the next chapters. So think of the kingdom of God probably uh, uh, represented by a new Jerusalem, but we think of the kingdom of Satan being represented by the by the rebellious city of Babylon. The original city of Babylon was the birthplace of idolatry where the residents built the Tower of Babel, a monument to rebelliousness and to false religion. Such idolatry was subsequently spread when God confounded man's language and scattered them around the world. So what has happened is we are now, remember of the, the image of, of Nebuchadnezzar? We are now at the, at the level of the feet made of clay and of steel, and we are about to see ten kings rising out of ten regions of the world. I'm not sure if you're going to see it this side of the rapture or the other side, but that is the next thing on the agenda. We can see the stirrings now. We can see what is happening with the financial world. They're trying to collapse the dollar, and when they, try to, when they collapse the dollar, they want to bring in their digital currencies. With a digital currency, you are totally, totally dependent on the bank. And they can tell you where to spend your money and where not to spend your money. If they do not like what political party you belong, they can just take your money away. They can determine your interest. If they want you to spend your money, if you've saved $100,000 and they want you to spend your money, they'll give you a negative interest rate. So your money gets 2% less per month. So I don't want you to scare you, but this is where, this is where these things good, uh, go. But, but also remember that with the progress of um, technology will also come greater security because there's less credit card theft and identity theft and so on. But we can just see how, how Babylon, which is the religious system and the financial system and the political system, are working in tandem to create one kingdom of the earth. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, she who made all nations drink of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So that sexual immorality, once again, do not think of that as physical, but think of that as idolatry. And we can see the world is being overrun at the moment by um, different ideologies that's not of God. Thank you.
not using men, yes, men. But there, does it say if it's men and women or what? I think it's men. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's men. Yo. Some questions, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What if the Jewish people had accepted Jesus right off the bat as the Messiah? What would, what would have happened? I think then he would have set up his reign in Jerusalem. What did he say? What did he ask? Yeah, the question was, what, what would have happened if, if the Jews accepted their Messiah? I, personally, I think then if they would have done if they would have done that, then um, because remember, the, the his goal was for people to to confess of their sins and be saved. So that means that the kingdom of God would have been introduced almost the same as it would have now been introduced when it's a in a thousand years reign of peace. So maybe the 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 the, the people that got saved will be will be staffed into the governments and to rule and reign with the Lord's uh, authority. That's what I just think. 